right, we're back. The road, the stage, Mr. Michaels, Peter Miss, Michaels. Mr. Bateman, Patrick Bateman. We left uh, off on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Yes, a cliffhanger of, in, of uh, well, not like suspense, not mm, intensity. No. It was just fun. Just a cliff. It was just a cliffhanger. It was a uh, conversation that was uh, absolutely amazing that had to be split in two. Yeah, um, and uh, it, it was a uh, it was a great time. Uh, I'm excited to listen to it again because it's been a couple weeks. Yep. Um, but uh, last week we played part one with Gordy Johnson from Big Sugar. I've had a, a pretty amazing career uh, since what the early '90s. Mid-90s, well, I mean, honestly, even into the 80s, right? right. Like, I, th I think a lot of that, uh, the the production stuff that he was doing, I think mm -hmm. he mentioned he was in his early 20s, mm -hmm. which would have been into the 80s. So my buddy and I used to work on a golf course and digging a hole by Big Sugar was kind of like a, just a song because you'd be digging holes. I uh, one of my favorite concert experiences was not a Big Sugar show, but Gordy was involved. It happened at a place in Red Deer called The Zone, which is no longer around. The Zone. But the was it the la local laser tag place? Uh, no, but th there's another story with that for another time. Uh, the Zone was just, whatever, it was just this little hole in the wall in the corner of a building. Didn't even look like it'd be a venue, but it was. Uh, and a few shows. It wasn't around long, but there was a few shows there. Anyways, one night the Trues had come into play, and Gordy does summer in Red Deer. Right, uh, which, as as we know, his wife is from, and uh, yeah, so Gordy just showed up at the show unannounced, and they did five Big Sugar tunes as the encore that night with Gordy. Wait, did they? They must have known. Well, I don't know at what, what point they, they would have Big Sugar tunes all the time. I, I, I have no idea at what point they would have known. I'm sure at some point, their Gordy would have said, "Hey, I'm in Red Deer. Yeah, you yeah, guys are here yeah. in a month." So they would, I'm sure, had some kind of knowledge. No, they're just that good. Well, they're just that good. See. Life is life is like wrestling. <laughs> Some of it's scripted. Yeah, um, yeah no. Uh, so enjoy part two uh, coming up in just a minute with Gordy Johnson from Big Sugar. Huge shout out to him for for stopping by. And again, our first in-person interview. Face to face. Just crazy for a couple of guys who've been doing interviews for, well, you've been doing interviews for 35 years or something, right? At least 80, I think. Something like that. So uh, it was nice. It was nice to have someone in the studio. Other than the two of us. I mean, we kind of get tired of looking at each other. That's true. So I just look at <laughs> whatever that is. Mr. That. What's his name? That's Scully. 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 Right, right, right. Huge shout out to Go Services, Inc., Sawback Brewery, Tourism Red Deer, Bose Bar and Stage. Yep. Communal Creative Studios, where we record all of our podcasts. And where we recorded this one, part two, with Gordy Johnson of Big Sugar. You seem to have a pretty healthy perspective with that stuff, though. I know we talked a year ago. We did a video call while you and Alex were down in Texas. So it was actually like the day before you released Eternity Now. Mm -hmm. um, but you kind of, I'd been talking to a lot of bands. The pandemic was underway, a lot of disappointment. You had a very zen, just like rock star problems who, like, who gives a <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it, you've been through it all. You know, much like Gibbon said, like it will, it will be fine. Everything will be all right. Um, did any part of you kind of, you know, uh, start getting anxious or or eager to um, buy into some of those rock star problems now that we're a year later? Because honestly, at that time when you guys did that interview, everybody was still under the assumption, eh, few weeks, yeah, month or so, maybe we'll four we'll be week, out of this four yeah. week lockdown. Yeah, I remember that? I heard that <laughs> phrase <laughs> knocked around a few times. We just stopped having Zoom calls with our agent. You know, it was just like, I mean, we can if you just 
want to talk about stuff and things, <laughs> but there's, we're not talking about shows. I mean, even now, I we don't have a bunch of shows booked because I'm looking at it. What I'm starting to see now are, you know, on Instagram and Facebook or some of our friends who are in bands. We regret to inform our fans that the following shows are now going to be canceled because COVID numbers, blah, blah, blah. Look, I'm just going to wait it out. It's I've seen Mother Nature at her worst. I, I've got a recording studio. Mm-hmm. I've got nice guitars. I have access to good food, clean water. I'm with my loved ones. Mm-hmm. I can make music. I can make, like I mentioned earlier, beautiful cinematic 4K videos on your phone in your pocket. It's pretty cool. To learn some new skills, I got into the whole like Adobe video editing. I've done te- fundraising telethons for the animal shelter. You know, I mean, it's, that's not very rock and roll, but it gave me some new skills. I'm a little more independent. So I don't need to, I'm not at the, you know, the mercy of video editors and album cover designers and all you know, I can edit my own photos, design my own album cover, make my own videos, create a series of videos if I want. Over the over the lockdown, I put out 12 blues videos. Mm-hmm. I've recorded blues songs yeah. with friends, musicians from all over the place. Y'all got an iPhone? I'll tell you how to set it. Okay, now set it over to see what it says, 4K. Yeah, Yes, that one. You know, these guys have, have got these expensive phones that have no idea how to use them. Tell them how to set it up and okay, and send me your audio. Everyone's got a little recording rig and made all these videos with my homies and started answering questions online. I thought, why don't I just make a video answering the questions? So I started putting out a little series. We put out 24 episodes of that. Um, Universal Music put out a vinyl reissue of Hemivision from 1996 or the Digging a Hole record. Um, well, we can't tour, we can't do any shows. What can we do? Oh no, what do we do? I'm like, oh, I, I, I got an idea. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, and I don't have to leave home, babe. Yeah, you had me yet. <laughs> Sit down. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we re recorded the entire Hemivision record. I just played everything myself. I know how the songs go. You know, I played them all, videotaped myself, got my friends on each song to send me a, uh, send me a video of yourself here's the track warren haynes went in the studio and recorded himself on a couple of songs rich robinson from the black crows at home recorded himself singing so we got all these duets i got colin james and jason mccoy and all my friends sending me videos to be in the hemivision uh reissue concert i couldn't have probably pulled that off if we had to book a venue somewhere like try to get everyone on the same night available you know, hotels and uh, flights and all the rest of it. It starts to get, you know, kind of undoable. But that what a fantastic way to have a record release. Yeah, sure, cool. However, the little bit of a learning curve, like when you're up trying to live stream, like upload stuff that's really high quality. Mm-hmm. I had this great idea. Remember we had a song called If I Have My Way? Mm-hmm. And the crowd every night sings, If I Have My Way. I thought, you know, it'd be really cool. Let's get fans to send us just on your iPhone, 
just saying, if I have my way, we'll put it in the video on the live stream. We'll put it in there. We got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So I was frantically trying to upload those and edit them into the, of course, everyone's got a different damn phone. You've got an Android, you've got a Huawei, you've got an iPhone. You have an iPhone 5? Dude, <laughs> this isn't, these things were not compatible. I was getting it was glitching. And how are they it being? Was, how are they sent to you? Were they uploaded? Did you have a place to upload them? Oh, or? they were coming via Facebook Messenger yeah. and our management <laughs> email and just all these janky ways of sending to WhatsApp. I'm like, what the hell is all? I, what is all this stuff? Oh my god, it crashed. Everything crashed and burned. It, we were a day late putting it on. I was like, remember we said the thing to light the live <laughs> thing tonight? Well. I've been editing this video for the last 36 hours, and it's, I no, it's tonight's not that night. I Is can't. producer Riley cringing back there somewhere? <laughs> yeah, okay. He's got I was like, dude, I can't, I can't remember how to sing and play a guitar right now. This is going to have to. I solved all the issues, and we were eventually able to, to, uh, to broadcast that and play along with it. And yeah, it turned out really great. But yeah, the other fan footage just completely annihilated. <laughs> so many different formats oh, and sizes. It was horrible. It was amazingly horrible. <laughs> you, you also just reissued 500 pounds on vinyl. Yeah. Uh -huh. so, uh, sold out, right? In about three hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're looking at trying to get another pressing. Which is taking uh, some a long time for everyone, right? Well, vinyl, there's a huge demand huge. for it. But a lot of places had slow down and cut back to half of their staff that yeah. people weren't showing up in person so there's this huge backlog of need to make vinyl to manufacture vinyl and so it's special it's a special uh, are there more yeah. plants doing it now because i thought i'd heard at one point there was only a couple of plants in the world that were actually producing at any given time there are only a couple because people invest in them and they have this great idea more than once i've met a bunch of young ambitious dudes who we're opening a vinyl factory and I went and saw all the machines. We got these from the Czech Republic and we got these machines from, you know, the Mormon church in Utah. They sent us this stuff and like, oh, there's amazing equipment. Year and a half later, they're out of business. It's a hard game, man. I mean, it's vinyl is more popular than it's been in decades, but you still can't really sell the numbers that you would like to to make of it it okay. has to be expensive mm -hmm. there's just physical realities to vinyl that you forget about you can make an album and put it on itunes you can have 24 songs on it knock yourself out prog rockers make your <laughs> album three hours long if you want yeah but when it's on vinyl oh we'll just make it a double disc that means it's twice the weight which is twice the cost of shipping. Yeah. You can fit half as many. Remember when you could put 50 in a box? Now there's only 25 in a box. Yeah. You're so smart. Well, now what are you going to do? Like, you've doubled your costs of packaging, shipping, everything. Then the customer goes, how come it's $48? Oh, dude, I wish I could sell it to you for $12. Yeah. It's a cake. Physically can't. You know, so there's, that stings a little bit. You love to think, you know, but, when I was a kid, I was buying Led Zeppelin records for ten bucks, yeah, yep. nine ninety five or whatever. Sam the Record Man, so cool. That was cool back then. It's a little harder. The infrastructure is not there either. It's a little harder to distribute this stuff. So 
we're sticking with it. I love it as a format. It did, nothing sounds like it. The artwork is super well, badass. Well, and those, those albums know. weren't released on vinyl yeah, that's all no, in the first place, right? No, like, So this the is the first place. time for these ones to because get. Because it was that dark period yeah. in the 1990s where digital was, a compact disc was blowing people's minds. Yeah. Everything was getting reissued. Box sets on compact disc. Stuff from the 1950s and 60s on compact disc. Are you kidding? I'll never need this vinyl again. <laughs> Got rid of it. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we we unfortunately a bunch of our better work falls in this dark period where there was no people just didn't do that. Just cassette and CD. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what I wanted to know. Is that was that like a big deal for you to be able to press that on vinyl? Yes. Yeah. Oh my and god. It's a beautiful yeah. package too. Yeah. Oh, we were when I believe me the day I got the tre- the test pressings and put them on was like wow it's i'm for real a rock star i got an album on a turntable (laughs) not everyone gets to do that so back in 1993 when that album came out like were artists like yourselves or your you know uh, whatever it is like were they wishing that they could release vinyl was that even a thought because it wasn't possible i don't think it occurred to people back then and that's when i started to collect vinyl records voraciously okay hundreds of country records were acquired when i'd go to radio stations to do interviews you know big sugar about digging a hole yeah being in the rock radio and being in these buildings and saying hey uh a country station here yeah down the hall kicks fm is or whatever you know yeah go down the hall hey have y'all got any vinyl records collecting dust because they're not using them. Yeah. No, I've I've got about eight boxes from our station I've after that. Every and nothing. They crazy. Every Buck Owens record, every Loretta Lynn record, every you know Charlie Pride record, anything they had, we would just go through them, and it was we'd just be fighting. I mean, we got into punch ups with the other band members over who was getting what record. What Patsy Cline get a shot first? I don't care if you play harmonica. This is me. <laughs> I got here first. And we actually got walked out one day with a turntable. <laughs> like the, the station got the engineer to come and unhook the wires and take it and walked out with a turntable, a really expensive, beautiful techniques turntable. So that was the golden age of acquiring yeah. stuff. So my record collection, you know, turned into this enormous, you know, megalithic structure in the middle of my house and you have enough copies to have in different parts of the world with your guitars no but i do have enough copies there are certain records where i have a copy that's still in shrink wrap it's absolutely pristine and clean and then three other copies in various states of so depending who's over and how drunk we are putting on vinyl records it's like oh this zeppelin four maybe we'll play this one today it's the the one where the cover is almost worn off. Yeah. We'll play that one. Next. You know, it's great. I grew up with, uh, my dad had a copy of Sgt. Pepper's. <laughs> it was my imitation of Robert Plant on 50-year-old vinyl. It's pretty good. I still, like when I hear Lucy in the Sky, there's still a skip that hits because the record had a scratch in it and a little skip. And to this day, I can hear that song and I know exactly where the scratch was on that record. I heard on the radio recently talk about muscle memory we just i just name dropped zeppelin four but that's a record that you know if you grew up in that time you just knew every group of that record 
in the song rock and roll in the fade out of the outro in the last the last part of that song ooh yeah ooh yeah there's a mistake there's a mistake in it and if i showed you where the mistake is you'd never you wouldn't believe me you'd listen to you would go well no it's not a mistake that sounds right it does sound right cuz you've listened to it yeah. since 1970 right. in the outro they skip a bar somebody in the band skipped a bar and they missed a cue or something. It's not a train wreck, but it's like, it's a 12 bar blues rock and roll song, but they they miss a bar. There's an 11 bar phrase in the outro. But Jimmy Page has gone and they've reissued, of course. Zep 4 has been reissued in box set and CDs and another box set as a DVD and another box set as this, and now it's remastered for iTunes and the remastered version. They fixed it. Hmm. Wrong. It's so wrong. I heard it on the radio and I just about pulled off the road. I'm like, what the hell did you do to my lens? <laughs> what did you do, Jimmy Page? What are you what were you thinking? You don't get to this do that. This is why would you do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It was fine. Were people asking for refunds? I don't yeah. think so. What have most you, people didn't even notice? Oh my god, what have you done? What have you done? Uh, you mustn't do that. Leave it alone. So now it's going to be tough for us to hear that original one probably then, eh? Put it on. You'll hear. Yeah, now if you put it on, now I've told you yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Listen yeah. to it all the way to the end and you're going to go, ooh, yeah. Ooh. There's an extra ooh, yeah in there now. Why? Why is there an extra one now? Yeah. Just because you can. That being said, it must have been super relieving for him because obviously it <laughs> <five laughs> must have decades. For decades. <laughs> oh, poor Jimmy Page. Can you imagine? <laughs> Has there ever been anything you recorded and had a little mistake that you left in? Like, you think of, like, uh, Roxanne has that off piano note in it. Um, I think in Jack White, Yellow Moon. Is it Yellow Moon? It has the, there's, like, a like a kitchen drawer or something opens and there's a clank in the background. Oh, no, I didn't know that. That they just decided to leave in. Is there, have you guys ever done anything like that? I love that stuff. Right. Well, that's rock and roll, right? They're supposed to be. That's why music sucks now and young bands you guys kind of suck because you come in the studio and you think you need it all to be perfect, but Jimi Hendrix was fine with it. Okay, Jimmy Page, sit down for a minute. Like John Bonham didn't play with a click track. Do your job. <laughs> Make something awesome. We'll record it. We'll love it. And you point these things out to, to younger dudes. And I find I get really impatient. I'm sounding like a cranky old man. Get off my lawn <laughs> while you're at it. But, you know, they, I got this, especially young guys who come in and their heroes are like ACDC. And they want to, like, ACDC, it's all about some ACDC. But then they want, like, perfect, every guitar part to be perfect and every kick drum hit and every snare drum is sampled and every, you want to auto-tune your vocal. You want to auto-tune your vocal? Have you listened to the vocal of uh, You Shook Me All Night Long? Anybody? You know the note I'm talking about? At the end... Of you shook me all night long. The last note, all night long. <laughs> it's not even. It's not even a freaking note. The guy's voice is already like it's not notes anyway. Yeah. And his last, all night shriek. He hits black ice. It just skids out onto the side of the road. They left it. They left it because who cares? 
by the end of You Shook Me All Night Long, if you're not a believer in rock and roll, you shouldn't have been here anyway. You've left the room or turned the dial, or you believed it. Just leave it alone. It's fine. There's another great... I mean, I'm such, I'm such a vinyl head, and I love the the esoteric in, in rock and roll and the recordings. Bad Company is another one. Um, I can't get enough of your love. Has a horrible vocal mistake on it where his voice just completely skates on black eyes. And it's never, people have never asked for a refund. As a matter it's of fact, fine. Paul Rogers gets credited as being one of the greatest, if not the greatest voice in rock history. Paul, he always gets. It's fine. It's yeah. fine already. Just leave it alone. Yeah. Let people know you're also just a dude. You're allowed to be human. Like there's string squeaks. Sometimes guitars go out of tune. That's why they sound so awesome. Otherwise, we'd all play keyboards. Come on, man. In fact, I'm a fan of keyboards that go out of tune. Like for me, keyboards are pianos, clavinets, Hammond B3s. They're, you know, if the voltage is wonky, a Hammond organ gets a little pitchy. That's, yeah, man. There, that's it. That's what makes it sound huge. So I leave, man. I leave that stuff all over. The vocal on Digging a Hole was the guide vocal to show Mr. Chill, the harmonica player, how to play the song. He'd never played it all the way through because we recorded it we kind of made it in the studio and so we just sat in the studio let the track play and i grabbed his harmonica mic and sang okay i'll sing and then you sing with me and then you play harp and you'll get it look we'll just okay just run the tape got my head in a haze and then two of us and he sings some harmony which isn't even really harmony because we were just working it out he played some harmonica I sang the same verse again. Maybe there was going to be a different verse, but I don't know. And he, we just did the same thing three times. Hey, man, we listened back to it and thought, that's cool. Cool. It's, so that's the only take there is or ever was, wow. is that one take with me holding the harmonica mic. So when the record company says, can we get a version with a clean vocal? And I said, <laughs> nope. Well, we want one without harmonica because certain stations won't play it because it has harmonica in it. Oh, and God. I said, no. Yeah, but it's it could go to number one if we... That's nice. If what? If, huh? If what? Wow. Because why? Again, I'm sorry, who are you again? What was your name again? <laughs> what, what job do you do at the record company? I, that's just what I do. So just... You do what you do, and I'll do what I do. That's, that's cool. Wow. Just leave it at that. So, yeah, if we Goddamn. you put up those tracks later and you look at the multi-tracks and go, oh, yeah, right. There's only one. <laughs> that's all, all on one track, and we only did it once. Yeah. Wow. It's a weird thing to demand that perfection in the studio like that, too, because you would have to be very um, confident in your live performance, the quality of your live performance, right? So usually there's some sort of difference. Nice. Well, hmm. Look, I mean, it's important to break it down to its most basic component parts. It's communication, right? And it's a specific form of communication, which is entertainment. You know what I mean? So, you know, in life you have, you know, food, shelter, water, um, love and acceptance, TV shows and snacks. You know, guess which guess which category we fall into. First of all, we fit into the TV shows and snacks category of communication and 
necessities for life. And then there's a subsection of, you know, communication, TV show, snacks, rock and roll. Okay, we're not saving lives here, first of all. But you're communicating. Do you get your point across? Mm-hmm. Just stop there. Once you've got your point across, stop. Which guitar solo is the right one? The one that makes us all go, oh, hell yeah. When you start air guitaring to your own guitar solo, that's, your, that's the one, that's the take. That's the one we want. Do I understand the words clearly? No, but man, I really know what the guy meant. Mm-hmm. You know, Because ultimately that's how people will listen to it. They're, it's the soundtrack to their lives. It's not their lives. It's your life. It seems very important to you when you're the guy behind the microphone. It's important to remember how it will be perceived later. Yeah. You know, did you get your point across? Some of the greatest records we love were made in a day. The entire record. They didn't give these bands months or years of indulgence to create their masterpieces. So people made masterpieces on Thursday. You know, I mean, that's yeah. just what you did. So I still, you know, we have this great maxim that I always adhere to when recording. And it's these are your three your three choices. Uh, tuning, timing, and attitude. Pick any two. Okay. Any two of those will do. Because three, all three is boring as hell. Mm. I have no time for that. Tuning, timing, and attitude. As long as you have two of those things. You get a singer who's got great rhythm and amazing attitude. It doesn't matter what note they sing. Yeah, you got a whole genre of music called punk rock Mm -hmm. heavy metal is not the guys the you know the cookie monster heavy metal singers what notes he's singing it's not nothing to do with notes it's timing and attitude those singers sing with amazing percussive evocative intensity right that's why it's good sing sometimes you need singers that sing perfectly in time and perfectly in tune with zero attitude those are called backup singers you need that. Yeah. You need these three people, three voices, six voices to sing perfectly in tune, perfectly in time. You're not the center of attention. That's why they fade into the background. Right? Drummers helps if they're in time. But you know, I always think about like like the Who, the early Who records, timing. If you put those against a click track, there's no way they're in time. All attitude, hmm. right? All attitude. His drums sounded awesome, and they were infused with attitude. Yeah, there. That's enough. And there's a legend behind those those drums specifically now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So that that applies to every recording you can you can name. If to me, if it's worth listening to, mm-hmm. especially in rock and roll, and the same is true for for hip hop. They make hip hop. If you're a hip hop fan. I don't know, man. They're making hip hop so it's so perfect. I can't tell the difference from one artist to the next, and I don't yeah. care. It's all perfectly in time. It's all perfectly in tune, it's and it all has so much attitude that I can't even t- tell if you're a real person anymore. You know, as opposed to guys who just had something they really needed to say. It didn't matter if it sounded like crap. They just they had timing. They had attitude. You know. Producers would put samples together that weren't in tune with one another. It didn't stop people from being moved by it, you know. So that's our tuning, timing, attitude. Pick any two. Does intent play a factor at all of why the band is doing it? Like, again, you guys 
wrote those songs, did those things because it sounded cool. You it just worked with all of you together. Are there too many bands that want that hit? Right? They have their eye on something else. They have, uh, you know, a, de a destination already in mind. They're not making music because it feels good. It sounds good to them. It's what they want to do. That maybe they have uh, intent of of manufacturing a hit, putting a song and getting down a certain lane. I know how to do that. It's still valid. I'm not going to say that that's not a valid form of entertainment. That a lot of music in modern times gets made like that. It's there's an open slot. Let's fill it. They need something that sounds like this. It's this long. It's about this. Well, I just described country music, haven't I? <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> but that's that's entirely yeah. valid. You know, I mean, if it if it makes you hoist a beer at the cottage on the weekend and have a great time, cool. Matt, listen to what pleases you. That's that's all good. That's a completely valid form of entertainment, and I don't look down at people who want to do that. I just, I have the luxury of saying no to it. I have the luxury of being able to say, that's not what we do. And you're not dangling anything in front of me that's so compelling that I would drop what I'm doing to go and have some of that. I mean, that's not what we do. It's not what I like to listen to. And it's not what I need to do. So, I mean, I have, I have helped bands make records for that, for those purposes, it's, you're just channeling. It's a little formulaic, right? Yeah, it's a bit. There's a formula. You're channeling the flow of electrons to create, you know, speakers that move so that people involuntarily go. Hey, I think <laughs> I like this. That's, you know, that's what it is. I know how to do it, but I don't enjoy doing it. It's a good trick. I mean, it's fun when you pull it off, but it's that's not really what I enjoy doing. I prefer the the challenge of people who just really believe in their music and they do something so peculiarly unique that they're like, oh, let's try and get that out there and see what people think of it. Yeah. You know, I'd rather be on that side of history. I think I'm, I think I'm on that side. I, well, and it sounds like based on that story you were telling us earlier about that vote of confidence from, was it your, your old producer, your original producer? Mm, it sounds yeah. like that kind of, I mean, that sounds like a really helpful moment in, in your career. I've been fortunate enough to to get, you know, to get those phone calls every once in a while from from your heroes. That to get a cold call from somebody you really admire mm -hmm. can it, it reinforces for you. Like just when you thought you should maybe second guess what you're doing. Um, in 1998, I got a phone call in my hotel room. I was in Vancouver. We were playing at the Commodore Ballroom, and I got a phone call in my hotel room like who knows i'm here even except my you know bride to be knows i'm here who hmm. hello it's bruce fairbairn the producer he's working on a aerosmith record and called me he heard heated uh he heard the song better get used to it and called to ask me about that drum sound oh <laughs> wow like, you what okay now wait a sec Who's this again? <laughs> Are you really? How did you? Really? You so you tracked me down to yeah. ask me about that drum sound. Good day to be me, man. Yeah. I thought I would. I was over the moon. He's like, "Well, what are you doing this afternoon?" I said, "Whatever you tell me to." Apparently, so I jumped in the cab and went to a studio and had a tour of Bruce's studio. And I thought, "Well, what a what a nice fellow. Just what a generous, you know, active." Kindness is bring me in and show me a studio and give me this. Nope, 
and he put me in the control room and said, okay, now seriously though, what, so what, what were you doing? <laughs> how, so how were you miking those? What, what kind of drums were they? And you put a tablecloth over them? Wow, we used to do that in the seventies. What? Okay, and so then what did you do? Like he was pumping me for info. He was yeah, like, he amazing. wanted to know mics, placement, tuning of the drums, the weight of the sticks, like the whole deal. He was like, I got it. I got to get me some of that. I'm like, cool, man. Okay, sure. It's, I didn't invent it. I just used it. So sure. So is that the pump album? If we go to the album credits, so <laughs> we're gonna be able to see. <laughs> I don't think I got credit. <laughs> no no on credit in it. Kiss's Psycho Circus record. Um, but that, that was a great, you know, I talked to him a few times after that, just about production, studio stuff, you know. So I've had a chance to work with some of the greats and and get get their their validation. I, uh, I did a record with Warren Haynes. It was a live, it was live DVD audio, so it was 5.1. And I flew to New York and we were working at the, we were in the same studio as Bowie. Holy which shit. that to me was like what what, what studio is this uh what was that called at the time looking glass it's not okay. there anymore but i went to looking glass uh, philip glass's studio and so i was working with warren haynes mixing this i mean it's a f four or five hour concert we're trying to get it down to a dvd length mm -hmm. mixing in 5.1 but on an analog desk and Warren Haynes, the analog guy, he wants, he loves that fat old 70s sound. We're trying to make something that was recorded on a modern recording rig at a live venue, make it sound cool. I'm like, well, got all these tape machines. You know, we could, I bet we could mix this to tape on a multi-track machine, not the two inch, you know, you, you have different formats. When you record on a multi-track machine, you have 16 or 24 tracks that you can record on a two inch wide tape. But when you mix the final thing that people end up hearing, it would get mixed to a, a half inch size okay. tape, which only has a left and a right on it. But now it's 5.1, so what am I gonna do? I need five, I need six tracks to record on because each track would go to a separate speaker. No one's ever done this in analog. So how am I gonna do that? Well, they had a 16 track machine. I thought, well, that'd be cool. I'll just mix to six of the 16 tracks. Okay. And then, yeah, that'll be cool, right? We could do that. And so I did that. So now we're listening in 5.1 analog and all the dudes in the studio are going like, dude, did you really, oh my God, <laughs> I never thought of that. It sounds badass. Well, yeah, it should do. It's, I mean, it's got this great old gear. Yeah. No one had dusted off a 16-track machine in years. Like, amazing. This is great. <laughs> Except that. <laughs> <laughs> you are mixing this for video, right? It has to be able to lock to a thing called SIMTI code, which is the, the digital code that they spit with all of the video so that all the video locks to the audio. Okay. But yeah, I forgot about that part. <laughs> so. So uh, when it came time to go to mastering with George Marino, who was arguably the top mastering engineer in history, there's like four guys or five guys you can name in the history of audio mastering. George Marino is pretty high. If he's not the number one guy, 
he influenced the number two, three, and four guys. Like he's the dude. So George is gonna master this for us. So I sat in a taxi cab with the audio with Warren, my boss, my friend, but today he's yeah. Mr. Haynes. <laughs> so we're good <laughs> because I might have just had the fuck up of the century <laughs> because I've mixed the whole record like this a four hour live DVD. So we go to George's studio and I'm sitting on that back couch and man, I'm sweating bullets. I'm just thinking, oh God, what have I done? And now I'm gonna get a spanking in mm -hmm. front of everybody from the hand of God. Like I'm <laughs> George Marino's about yeah. I'm gonna, well, I mean, New York was cool, but you know, the flight <laughs> home, it's at least it's a short flight, you know. Uh, and he put up the audio and he listened to it and he went to five one and put put it up and went, uh, did you did you mix this? Yeah. Oh, it sounds really good. It sounds really good. You how what did you do? What, this sounds really good. And he just kept turning it up louder and louder, and I'm just waiting for that other shoe to drop. He turned the vocal, he turned the turned the volume down and said, "So did you? What what did you do about Simpty Code?" I said, yeah, about that. Um, well, the thing is, I did, yeah, we didn't really, I didn't think about that until, <laughs> and he said, well, what machine did you use? I said, it was a Studer 800 with a 16 track head block. And I, he asked the engineer, he said, so which, the, the Studer, you mean the Studer 800 at Looking Glass? So it's this model number or whatever, you know, it was one of the last analog tape decks they ever built. And George just said, you know, it sounds so good. And that machine, that those machines were rock solid. I don't care what anybody says, digital, digital this, digital that. Those machines were rock solid, man. This sounds so great. I don't care. You know what? We should master this. And you know, you tell your video guys to just deal with it. It's it's going to be fine anyway. They're not going to, it's not going to, I bet it doesn't drop out of sync. I bet you don't lose, I bet you don't lose two tenths of a second at the end of an hour. You know what? I wouldn't worry about it. Wow. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll just be outside for a while. Uh, I might use the men's room. <laughs> I mean, I was Hold one right out, out of your ass. Oh, <laughs> my God. Wow. What a relief. But then he's cranking it up, and Peter Frampton's voice was coming out of the, out of the speakers because I got to mix Government Mule with Peter Frampton and Jackson Brown and... Uh, you know, this list of amazing performers. It was like, okay, wow, now now I, now I can relax. I'm hearing Peter Frampton's voice come out here knowing I'm not being sent home in shame. Now you can enjoy it. <laughs> now I can enjoy it. But what an incredible, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a gamble, but he just said it sounded so good. Make it, you're not gonna have a problem. And you know, we, need, we didn't have a problem. No one ever asked again about the code. They were able to, it's gotten easier in modern times to be able to sync audio and video. You can just, it's, it's, it's hit the arrow key, you can nudge over it. In those days, it wasn't that easy. It's, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't quite as easy as that. But uh, no, didn't, didn't have a problem with it. So that was a close call. <laughs> was there anything special about that Looking Glass studio? Like listening to some of Philip Glass's work, it's, I mean, it's unlike anything that's ever been made before. I think. It was a wonderful studio. I mean, just in terms of the 
the equipment that they had available. Yeah. Really anything I could dream of using, they had, which was good because the studio I worked at at the time in Texas also had anything you could dream right. of asking for. Willie Nelson owned it, so they had a guitar-shaped swimming pool. I mean, you could have anything you needed in there. Oh, uh, let's sing into that mic. Oh, who was the last person to sing into that microphone? Nat King Cole. What? Nat King Cole? Nat King Cole? Nat King Cole? Chestnuts yeah. roasting. That microphone? Yeah, you can use it. What? How about, what about this microphone? Oh, yeah, that's the one Johnny Cash liked to sing in when he came here. I'll have that one. Yes, you know yes. what I mean? So kind of amazing. Yeah. Like when you're standing on those floorboards, you bring your A game every day. And it puts, especially on young musicians, you go, okay, uh, just be, yeah, sing into that mic. Make sure you don't touch it, though, because that's, that's the mic that, that Johnny Cash sings into. Oh, Willie Nelson has also sung into it a few times, but don't worry about that. Which I'm sure, it's, depending on the personality type, it's either going to make you elevate your game or make you so scared shitless. There's no way no, in hell yeah, I can sing into it. It the... brings your A game out for sure, because then guys feel like this is the golden it's microphone. An honor. I'm not going to get yeah. this opportunity again. Yeah, so pretty amazing studio to look at. But uh, no, Looking Glass was a wonderful facility when, when it was happening. I don't think it is now. But um, the best thing that happened of the week actually wasn't the ass-saving okay. mastering day, but... Bowie's engineer right. kept going down the hallway from the next studio, and he's kind of giving me the hairy eyeball. I was like, I'm in there working, and he kind of walked by the door and gave me the once over. I'm like, is it because I borrowed that compressor? I thought we asked. He said he was cool. Does he need it back? What's the deal with this guy? They keep walking by, giving me the once over. So I just happened to be walking out into the kitchen area one day as he was walking by, and he walked right up to me and looked me in the face and went, I thought so. You're that dude from Big Sugar. Yes. <laughs> wow. You're that dude who works with David Bowie. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Wow. I saw you play in Toronto, man. What are you doing here? I couldn't believe that was you. I can't believe it's me either. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> to get recognized by... Dudes like that. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's outrageous, <laughs> man. So what? What's next? You've got all. You've got this. This history. This. You know, all of these stories. You know what's funny? Like honestly, we like we haven't touched on the Grady stuff. We haven't touched on sit down servant. <laughs> oh yeah. We haven't touched on the carpal tunnel. Like I mean, have you written a book yet? <laughs> I think we need a book. Maybe, man. A little fireside chat. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, I got a million of them. As it turns out. Yeah. Um, what's next, though, is this is really a rebuilding year, I think, for us, which, mm -hmm. which I mean, we've already had a year of trying to figure out what, what we're going to do. The future is a little uncertain. Um, I didn't really know what to do after Gary Lowe passed away. Yeah. But what we did was get right in the studio and make a record, which was Eternity Now, and I'm super proud of it. And it came out March 20th. 2020 mm -hmm. yeah awesome so that you know that record's sort of lost to history i mean it's out there people can hear it but we never got to tour it it'll end up being two years by the time we go out and play so it's given me a time to stop and reflect and think about what big sugar means to me what i want to present to people i've never done the same thing twice mm -hmm. you know i mean big sugar's had 
30 different dudes have been in the band over decades. It's always been me expressing myself and getting people who are like-minded and on the same page as me at the time to do that, you know. So I'm looking at trying to rebuild a big sugar that I think is current and represents what we want to say now, even with our older music, because mm -hmm. to me it's a it's a living it's a living breathing thing. It's not just recreating a list of hits from back in the day and going out there and collecting the paycheck from the casino. You know what I mean? That's never been appealing to me. I'll keep making new stuff and continue to breathe life into the old stuff or why do it? You know? And if if only 300 people want to come and see me, I can still remember the day when there was no way I was getting 300 people to come and see me. 30 would have blown my mind. So it doesn't matter how many people are coming out to see it if they like it or if they love it even better, it's going to be good enough for me. I just want it, want it to still be, like I said, a living, breathing thing. So this has given me a chance to get some different people together and make Big Sugar music in a different way so that when they do open everything up for real and it stays open and we can come out and it's safe and we can put on rock shows again, I want it to be one hell of a rock show. Yeah. Like when I come out, I'll be ready to play. Well, I've had lots of time to practice. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've had lots of, uh, no end of time to sit at home and play the guitar. So I'll be ready to come out and give people something, something new and so, something old, but an exciting version of the old as well. You know? And also awesome. maybe a book. <laughs> I think the book has to. The book has to. An audio book. Audio book for sure. For sure. Well, but you know, I want, it, I want Gibbons to narrate it as me. Yeah, I want him to read it for me. At the same time, every time we ever had you in for a radio interview, I was like, Gordy's got to do a radio show. Like the voice is perfect. The storytelling is so good. So audio book version of the biography. Did, did I, I ever come into the station and do like traffic or weather? You you came in so uh, yeah you knew our afternoon guy uh, Fui. Yeah. Uh, really well. So you came in and did you did a full afternoon show. You did the full show with food. I mean, we had you in for several interviews, and the time you guys came in with, I think you had about twelve guys with you, and packed into that little studio, yeah, that's right. and playing in there as well. But yeah, you did the whole afternoon show with with Fooey that one time. And every time you'd come in, I'd be like, "Damn, Gordy's got to do radio." But like, I'd I'd settle for the audio. I kind of love the traffic and weather people <laughs> because they're just like top of the hour. They come in, so put the headphones on. Bit of a backup on Taylor Drive that'd be clear at 38th Street, you know, whatever. It's like, I'd love that. It's like, wow, man, you could. That was a tight 15 seconds, man. Oof. I love that. To me, that's just like an art to that. Dudes who can just hit their mark like that. Oh, I love it. Well, we'll start doing traffic and weather updates on this show. If you want to start coming in for it. It's hard to predict for you forwards. You get to broadcast this in four weeks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in, man. This has been. Real pleasure. Unbelievable. Yeah, we we'll need to do it again. Yeah, we could do that anytime I'm around. So yeah, what's the plan? Yeah, you, like you guys will stick around here until September and then back. Because your kids are like your oldest is done school now, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I've got uh, I got one in university, one starting university, and another one starting middle school. Whoops, <laughs> a bit of a gap, <laughs> a gap. There. There's a bit of a we took a bit of a break and then whoops. Uh, so yeah, no, I'll be going to volleyball games and <laughs> taking kids, you know, picking them up at the school bus and stuff. I'll still be doing that. But then I've got two in university, so it's kind of cool. That's great.
Right on, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Let's do it again. Let's have them back. What do you we, mean? Can we do a part hey, Gordy, can, can we do a part three? Don't leave just yet. <laughs> we want to sit down for another three hours. Yeah. <laughs> I totally could. Something like that. There's so much ground left uncovered that we didn't get to in however long that was. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, that was a pleasure. Go check out uh, Big Sugar put out a new record last March, you said, right? Last March, yeah. Paternity now. Um, what, uh, like... Ontario guy, how much farm experience do you have? I love Gordy's experience of the, his first time on the farm all dressed up in his Hugo Boss wear. And My farm experience in Ontario has literally been in the last six years because my good friend moved from the city to a farm. So every time I go home, I'll go and hang out there for a day. I'll yeah. say, hey, put me to work. And then five minutes later, I say, ah, fuck this. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, I, I enjoy my uh, one day a year usually on the farm pulling weeds or something okay. I, I don't i don't know but it's uh i've definitely never stuck my entire arm never into been a cow never been pulling calves no but i would love we should just we should set up a concert with gordy and just cows yeah i think that... cattle wrangle them up i don't know how that works bring them to some, some farm <laughs> like a woodstockian field just cows three quarters of a million yeah cows. exactly that's what i'm saying <laughs> just nothing but cattle and he can sing and sing and sing, and then we can talk to him for another two hours. Okay, let's do it. So shout out to him, and shout out to uh, Ghost Services, Inc., Sawback Brewing, Tourism Red Deer, Bose Barn Stage. Producers Ryan and Riley, Communal Creative Studios here in Red Deer, where the magic happens. Rate and review us on uh, iTunes, iTunes, and um, make sure you, uh, seriously, go subscribe to the Bose Barn Stage YouTube account. You probably have Google, which means you're logged into YouTube at all times. And you have yet to harness the true power of it. And then it gives you this cool little notification. Bing! When a new episode mm -hmm. of The Road to the Stage. You don't even have to think about it. And hey, it's if you, just you don't bing. like notifications, turn it off and just know that we have a new episode every Wednesday. 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 The Road, the Stage is produced by Ryan Cooley and Riley Sir Yin at the Communal Creative Studios in Red Deer, Alberta. In partnership with Go Services, Inc., Sawback Brewing Co., Tourism Red Deer, and Bose Bar and Stage.